This is a GRDC podcast. For many years, Rutherglen bug, a small, sap-sucking insect about five millimetres long, has been recognised as an occasional pest of sunflowers in Queensland and northern New South Wales. But over recent times, its behaviour has changed and its diet has expanded. It can now do significant damage to a range of summer crops. Hello, I'm Lucy Broad, and this is a tale of our changing climate, mistaken identity, and mysterious appearances. Very little is known about the ecology of the Rutherglen bug. As part of a GRDC investment, CSIRO has partnered with New South Wales Department of Primary Industries and the University of Queensland to help industry better understand and improve the management of Rutherglen bug across the northern region. I recently caught up with Dr Hazel Parry at an insect ID workshop in Tamworth. Dr Parry is the research scientist with CSIRO who's leading the project and I asked her about this native bug that seems to have a taste for the exotic. I found it quite fascinating for a while because, yeah, it's thought to be native as well as the, a very similar species called grey cluster bug. It's also native. And certainly in the case of Rutherglen bug, it seems to be really facilitated by weeds and other crops in the landscape, which it feeds on and reproduces. So it can build up populations in other parts of the landscape that then move into summer crops like sorghum and mung bean and can potentially be a pest. So it's understanding how and where it builds up in the landscape over time and the relationship between different crops and different plants in the landscape, particularly leafy weeds like Asteraceae, that we know are a key host. So how that happens and when it's likely to become a problem. So they're always there because they're a native bug, but suddenly populations explode. Do we know why? Yeah, so this has been sort of a thing that over the last 20 years, they've certainly increased in prevalence and in frequency. It wasn't really that much of a notable pest before then, particularly for summer grains, but it has become much more of an issue over the last decade or so. At the start of this project, we really didn't know why that was. We have an idea, we know it prefers higher temperatures, we know there's now a lot of weeds in the landscape, but what other changes have been happening over that time period that might help explain why the population is sort of generally increasing, but also why do we sometimes get quite large outbreaks of the pest, whereas other years we just don't. So what is it about that? I think we've got a little bit further now in our understanding. So we've known quite a lot about Rutherglen bug for a while and it's a native bug. What's the new and exciting stuff out of the last two years? <laughs> I think one of the things that we've learned is a much better understanding of what drives some of the quite sporadic population outbreaks that we've seen over the last decade or so and why generally it's increased in numbers and more frequent outbreaks and we really didn't have much idea before this started other than well temperatures are generally a bit warmer with climate change. So we investigated that and we looked at a couple of key factors that first one being the habitat around and how that's been changing and we particularly looked at canola because from our observations in the field we've seen particularly during this project that when you have canola stubble and canola trash left after harvest, populations of the bug really build up on that. And so we see that as potentially a really important driver 
for populations in the landscape. So we looked at that and we also looked at the El Nino Southern Oscillation and so how switching from a summer that's say quite wet like with La Nina into a dry period which we're going into now how that might affect the risk. And so what we found is that we're able to actually explain a lot of the variance, about 60%, just with those two factors pretty much. So that's not sounding like a good prognosis for <laughs> this coming season. But it sort of depends. It's that interaction with the canola. So, for example, around here in the Tamworth area, there's really not a lot of canola being grown. So that kind of offsets that risk. Plus also locally is a relatively cool region, but if you go north of here into Mori area, into area around Narrabri, that's much hotter. And so that combined with greater canola production in that region and this forecasting around the El Nino, we would expect that there could be quite a significant risk up that way. So are you pulling that together in some sort of a model for agronomists, for producers? <laughs> we have and um, we've developed ways of communicating this and also we can actually forecast depending on temperatures um, what we would expect over the short term as well using the intrinsic rate of increase that's based on laboratory studies. But we're still looking at the best way to communicate this. It's certainly very dynamic, so it really depends where you're located and that horizon and what the temperatures look like going forward. So there's great availability now of climatic data that you can bring into this in real time. One example is Climate Services for Ag, which is a CSIRO-produced tool that now makes that data really accessible that we can bring into our models and use to actually forecast over the short term what we'd expect the populations to do. So today here I'm presenting that to agronomists and hoping to get some feedback from them on what sort of tools would be useful, how we can best communicate this. So we've put the El Nino information into something of a table, but there's still some gaps in that where we don't know exactly what conditions, what would result, because we haven't had every possible set of conditions. But yeah, we're looking at the best ways and hope to get some feedback today on that. So I understand you've been working actually quite closely with agronomists in this region. How have they been helping with this project? So they certainly helped us out in the field, but we've also looked beyond the region as well to engage with consultants and agronomists to get a bit more data for the genetic study. So we've looked at the population genetics of the pest and trying to understand how far it might move as well. So is it really quite localised, the populations, and therefore quite a lot of genetic diversity? Or is there a lot of movement? And what we found is there really isn't much genetic diversity between populations from different regions, different states. So we do think it's a highly mobile pest. So you might still have issues where it's building up in one other part of the region and it can potentially be transported across the region into your area. Even if local risks are fairly low, there's still that chance that it could spread quite far. One of the surprises from this project has been the confusion at all levels between Rutherglen bug and its doppelganger, the grey cluster bug. Dr Zuritza Durek is the New South Wales DPI entomologist leading the fieldwork for this project. Yes, well, Rutherland bug and grey cluster bug look very similar. On the other side, they are genetically different species, very distant on phylogenetic tree. They should know because Rutherland bug increasing in numbers in pastures, for example, they should recognize it and manage those pastures on time before they come into their summer crop. It's quite hard though, isn't it? They're quite hard to tell the difference. Yes, it is quite hard. You need to have very good camera, magnification or even microscope to actually see these features. It's not possible to see it with bare eyes. So what have you learnt from the work so far about how you manage Rutherglen bug? 
Rotterdam bug is quite difficult to manage because their sudden appearance, it happens so we can't control it. From one year, it looks quite good. In few years, you have, again, mass movement. So in order to be prepared for their mass movement, you need to, first of all, manage area around your crop because there are plenty of plants that serve them as a potential host where they could increase their numbers before they come into sorghum. There are a few other management options and we are working on some of them. We want to actually analyze if uh, digging deep trenches will stop movement of nymphs from canola stubble into sorghum. Potentially, they could still be a movement of adults because they have wings and they can fly over that barrier. However, nymphs should be stopped in that trench. So actually, this season, we are planning to trial trench as a possible option to manage Rutherland bugs and their mass movement from canola stubble into sorghum. There are also some other things, including management of canola trash piles after harvesting. There are options to use also insecticides, but those are broad range insecticides, which are not favorable to so many beneficials which are present in our surroundings. So using insecticides is not the best approach, and especially because Rutherland bug can often rain the same paddock coming from area which is not treated, for example. So there are some points and some, I would say, gaps in that management which we are trying to support. And also on top of that, we are working on risk forecasting of Rutherland bug. So we want to actually supply industry with potential tool that will assist them to predict future infestation. Dr Hazel Parry agrees that a prediction tool is a priority. I think the first thing will be a much better understanding of when you're likely to have a risk or not and to act accordingly. So I think there's quite a lot of times when we can probably be fairly confident that there will be quite a low risk and certainly depending where you're located within a region as well and depending on the conditions going forward like with the El Nino and with the habitat that's around you. So to know your risk, the sort of actions that a grower might take, for example, they could plant sorghum as early as possible or a summer crop and that would perhaps avoid coinciding with that peak population which is around January, February, March time of the Rutherglen bug. So the earlier they're compounded, the more they're likely to avoid. And that would be most critical when going into a period when they've got the relatively high risk. So I think understanding those risks and potentially thinking ahead and acting accordingly is something that I hope will perhaps give the opportunity for growers to do going forward. Dr Perry, thank you for taking the time to talk to us about your work and look forward to hearing more about the outcomes. Thank you. was CSIRO's Dr Hazel Parry and before her Dr Zaritza Durek from the New South Wales DPI speaking about the outcomes of their work into the management of Rutherglen bug in the northern region. One of the ways you can stay up to date with this work is online through the Beat Sheet. Just google beatsheet.com.au. I'm Lucy Broad and this has been a GRDC podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>